Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. You know, I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is Oh, so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash etm. The way that you spend your money, is it like, what is it rooted in? Is it because you are embarrassed of a part of you? Is it because you're wanting to fit in with a certain group? Or is it because you are genuinely embracing who you are? Hey, welcome back to Everyone's Talking Money. I am your host, Shauna Game, and it's so good to have you with us. This is the podcast where we help you finally feel good about your money. Did you know there are three ways you spend money based on your identity? You either spend money to escape belong, or embrace your identity. Before you go second-guessing how you spend your money, our guest, Elise Fulmar, is author of the new book, Keep Money Personal, and a queer and neurodivergent financial educator, content creator, and founder of Queered Co., a financial literacy company. 
She wants you to set down the shoulds and the shame around money and start to embrace your identity. This powerful conversation about Elise's money journey inspired her book. Elise came out as queer and was diagnosed with ADHD, and this had a profound impact on how she uses her money to show up in the world. We talk about it all, including the impact of shame and societal expectations on your money, why understanding your money story can help you spend to embrace your identity, and how to create a money system that works for your brain. This is such an important conversation, and I hope you're inspired to share it with your friends so you can start to you know, help us all change the narrative around money. Before we get into the episode, I want to invite you to a special workshop I am hosting on February 7th that ties in perfectly with this episode, and I, I kind of think it's going to change your life. It's called Spend with Intention for 2024. So in this 90-minute live virtual workshop, I'm going to teach you how to create a healthy spending practice that moves you closer to your goals. You'll create what I call a mindful money spending plan. Yes, we're going to ditch the budget right in this workshop, and I will share all my best tips to go from being bad at spending to stress-free spending that just feels good. Be sure to sign up before this workshop sells out. You can go to etmpod.link slash spend with intention or easier just go to the link in the show notes i can't wait to see you there and yes of course this workshop will be recorded so you can watch the replay all right let's start talking in in the intro of your your new book you say shame has been your companion and that shoulds have stolen your attention and you know comparison has made you feel inadequate and i love this because I, I can really relate to this, and I think most of us can if we're being honest, right? Shame and, and the shoulds, I should have done this with my money, or you know, maybe I should have invested this, or I, or I shouldn't have bought this or that. Um, it's an, I, uh, my sister-in-law is a therapist, and she's always talking to me about not shooting on yourself. Yes. And so <laughs> when I read this, I was like, God, this was just so great. You know, tell me a little bit about like what is it about money that gets us trapped in this place of the shoulds and the and the shame? Yeah. I feel like the biggest part of it is that we take on the responsibility of our finances completely. Like we feel that if we don't have a you know, stacked bank account, if we don't have the debt paid off and the house and the car and all of these things, we feel like that's our fault. When most people were not taught financial education in schools or in their home life. And so we were never given these tools. We were never taught how to manage money, yet we blame ourselves when we're struggling with our finances. Instead of looking at, okay, what led up to this point? And also, what are the larger like societal systems that are contributing to this like i would argue that things like inflation and cost of living and you know discriminatory practices in a lot of wealth building industries have contributed more to people's struggles with finances than you know their own personal decision making so i think that's one part of it is that we take on the, the blame and we feel like it's our fault Another thing is that we don't talk about money and so many people don't talk about money and aren't open about their situation, aren't transparent about what they're going through. And so we see all these other people, we see these things on social media and we perceive everyone else to be doing so much better than we are when in reality, you know, there's most people <laughs> are so struggling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of people that are struggling with the exact same situation that you are. 
I've really noticed when running group programs that that is one of the biggest pieces of feedback that I get is people talk about how powerful it was to be in a group call and hear other people basically describing their exact situation and their exact struggle and them being like, I had no idea that so many other people were also struggling with that. And that is in such a small sense. So imagine the power it could have if people were very vocal about it and everyone was talking about their situation. So I think that also contributes to the shame. And in terms of the shoulds, I think a lot of this stems from these societal expectations and these kind of arbitrary milestones of success that we are supposed to strive for and achieve. And so when we fall short of those things, or maybe when we do achieve them, but we don't feel fulfilled because maybe it's not what we actually want, then again, we feel like we feel that shame come up again. And if we're not reaching those milestones, we're thinking, I should be doing that because that's what I've been taught to do. That's what other people are doing. That's what's going to make me successful and fulfilled without maybe taking a step back and questioning why we're doing those things and if it's actually leading to the life we want and if it actually makes sense for our lifestyle and our goals. So yeah, I think it's it's a combination of you know societal systems and money systems that are set up in place, but also just the taboo around money and not talking about it and not being taught the education to know how to manage our finances. Yeah, I think it's it's so great like having transparency. It's one of the reasons I named my show Everyone's Talking Money because I wanted to have these conversations and have people share the, you know, the sort of under the hood of of money that that we don't talk about often and when I was a, a practicing financial planner, it was it was always interesting to me because you would sit across from people who you thought, like on paper, they have everything together, like they have a house and a car and watches, and they make you know a lot of money, and and everything has to be perfect. And I really started to see that that kind of regardless of age or demographic or even income. People really struggled with the same sorts of things about money, whether it was shame or the shoulds or regrets or feeling lost. And, you know, a lot of people would make uh, what we would consider to be a lot of money and living very paycheck to paycheck. And so it was really eye opening for me to be able to see how similar we really are. And it's just what you're saying, right? We just don't, we don't talk about it. So it just stays kind of in the corner and it keeps money in this place. And, you know, you and I share this, this really common belief that money is personal. It's, it's unique to us. And, you know, I, I believe that we can really opt out of the, the negative thinking and really the self-talk around money that just sort of exists. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you have this unique perspective. You say in your words, getting diagnosed with ADHD allowed you to finally create a money system that worked for your neurodivergent brain. And coming out as queer allowed you to stop hiding behind, you know, certain clothes and makeup and really gain more confidence. And I love this because this is another, you know, I think aspect of of talking about money from this perspective. What was the the aha moment for you when you realized that you know there has to be a different way to do money and there has to be a way to do it personal? Yeah. I think in for this specific situation, I had a bunch of aha moments. I talk about my book having an aha moment in terms of realizing that I need to change my situation. 
But in terms of understanding that there was different ways to approach money, I think that there was a it was a culmination of a bunch of little things. And a lot of those stemmed from my own personal journey and experience. And you just touched on a couple of them. So, you know, coming out as queer and really accepting that identity and also getting diagnosed with ADHD. I was already within the finance space. So when those when that journey was happening for me, I was also thinking about my money and finances. I'm also going on social media and talking about these things. And so I began to think a little bit deeper, like how have these aspects of my identity affected my money choices and decisions and Mm, the way that I presented myself and also the way that I moved through the world. So that led to a few big aha moments. And then the other part of that came from starting to work with clients and actually largely just the application forms and reading through so many application forms. Like the very first program that I launched when I was on TikTok, I had like 500 applications or something like that. So I read through 500 applications and heard so many different stories. And you just kind of touched on it a minute ago, talking about how there was these people making good money, but we're still living paycheck to paycheck. That was something I noticed too, is that a lot of people were applying that had a lot of privilege and had all the resources and were making more than enough to afford their lifestyle, but were still really struggling. And I also was getting applications from people who have tried so many different systems before. And so it wasn't for a lack of trying and it wasn't that they weren't accessing these resources, but things still weren't working and they were still struggling. So that kind of also led to the realization of like, it's really not about the numbers. And, you know, all these people have tried making budgets in the past. And if making a budget was the solution, then they wouldn't be still struggling. (laughs) And so, yeah, that combined with my own personal journey, I was like, there is something really missing here from a lot of the financial education. And when I started to try to search those things, there was there's basically nothing. It's really hard to find identity and money content anywhere and to find, you know, ADHD and money content and things like that. And so, yeah, that was those things combined. I was like, something needs to change and I'm going to fill this gap because I feel like there's there's way more going on beyond the numbers. And it's not about creating the perfect budget or creating the debt repayment plan. Like people are still struggling even with those tools. So, you know, we need to figure out what else is going on here and my perspective is that it has way more to do with your identity and lived experience. And that's what we should be focusing on more than manipulating the numbers. I want to get to that that identity piece in just a minute. But before we do, I want to talk a little bit about the money system that you created for your neurodivergent brain. Tell us more about the system, you know, for anyone listening who's who's in that place as well. What were you able to create that was really helpful for you? Yeah. So first off, I want to note that everyone's brain is going to be different. So that was also a big part of creating this plan for myself was understanding how my brain worked and what things motivated me and what systems worked for me. So that like self-discovery part was very key in creating this plan. Beyond that, one of the more tangible things that is part of my money plan is automation, basically automating everything. (laughs) Uh, Because being neurodivergent, it affects your executive function, which if you're not familiar with that, it's basically like the manager of your brain. It's the, the part of your brain that's going to help you plan things and schedule and execute tasks and set goals and all of those things. So 
when that isn't working properly, then you are struggling with basically everything to do with money. And I was, you know, forgetting to pay bills. I was forgetting to cancel subscriptions. I was making late payments on my credit card. And so I set up automated systems that would transfer money to the appropriate accounts that I needed when I got paid and pay off my credit card, at least like the minimum balance automatically and things like that so that I wasn't impacting my credit score. I wasn't having late payments. And then also the money was going to the accounts that I needed. So if I was going through a hard time mentally and I was struggling, I wasn't like couldn't get out of bed and then I had to go get groceries or something like that, there would be money in that account and I wouldn't be, you know, it wasn't an extra barrier to doing more things. So automation was really key and it helps just my baseline finances operate on autopilot, even if I'm not doing so well. And then beyond that, I really gamified my finances and made it more fun and enjoyable for me, especially when it came to different financial goals. I found that when I was just setting goals based on you know, what I thought I should be doing, I got bored so quickly and then I would fall off any sort of plan that I set. (laughs) So I had to make it fun and exciting. And that's true for a lot of neurodivergent folks is that they're motivated by different things than neurotypical folks. So figuring out ways where you can kind of inject dopamine into your systems is really helpful. So for me, that looks like bullet journaling. I love bullet journaling. So I have like savings trackers that I, you know, color in and I make like the fun page and I like decorate that. And so it's really enjoyable. Like every time I transfer savings, I get to go like color in a little thing. And I I enjoy that. Uh, I also have sticker charts. I always say, I don't know why we stopped doing sticker charts in elementary school because right? they're amazing. <laughs> like everyone should have a sticker chart. So I do sticker charts for like certain goals and then there's reward systems built into that. So when I reach certain milestones, I will reward myself to, you know, motivate me to keep going. Um, those are some of the big ones. Also, I don't use like a, I don't track my expenses really closely anymore because I just have been doing it for a while and I have like this automated system where the money, you know, goes where it needs to go. But if I am, I have a spreadsheet that is very colorful and very visual because seeing things visually is very helpful for me and I don't want a boring <laughs> spreadsheet. I want it to be like super bright colors and <laughs> yeah, just graphs everywhere and it like really stimulating my brain. So those are some of the things that I've implemented. But I also recognize that part of the process of, you know, creating a money plan when you're neurodivergent is also accepting that things are going to stop working. And I I say to my clients, like, tools will expire. Your tools are going to expire because inevitably, you're probably going to get bored at some point of the system that you have, or it's just not going to work for you anymore. So I have accepted that and I'm prepared to switch it up whenever it starts to not work. So that's also, I would say, part of my plan is expecting that things are going to stop working at some point. But because I'm prepared for that, I have like a backup plan that I can just switch to really quickly and kind of keep that that interest going. I'm a fan of automation. I think it's really sort of the secret, um, I don't know, secret sauce, if you will. I, I worked with someone a couple of years ago and she was ADHD and she also had these uh, kind of like manic moments where she, when she would be in a moment, she would just go buy everything, you know, because that was just what her body and her brain was, was telling her. And she wanted to set up a boundary around that sort of, you know, these, these, 
bumper guards like you do you know when you go bowling right so you're not gonna um you know get the ball in the gutter and so we you know just came up with this idea of creating a separate savings account that she called it my manic spending account and she would automatically put money in there every month and then she knew like when i have a moment i'm to go to that account and you know i think that for most of us we're like well you know that's not that big of a deal but I think what you're saying, like the stickers and, you know, colorful, you know, s- spreadsheets and all of that, you know, it's it's really about creating a system for you personally mm-hmm. that's going to feel, uh, you know, comfortable and approachable. And so I love that advice. I think that's so helpful. I think that would help all of us. Yeah, honestly. honestly yeah. <laughs> if we looked at it from that perspective. But I want to come back to the, the identity piece. And, you know... This idea that you know you didn't need to hide anymore, I think, is is something I really want to want to talk about. How how do you think that most of us use our money as really like a hindrance to to stepping into who who we really who we really are in the world? Yeah, one of the things I was I was really interested in this when I started writing my book, and that was I did a lot of research into this, and that's one of the things I talk about in one of the chapters of my book is like the different ways that we spend based on our identity, and the three kind of ones I talk about are one is spending to attempt to escape your identity. So if there's a part of your identity that you're not proud of, or that you don't like, or that you wish that you didn't have you might be spending money on things in an attempt to kind of hide that part of your identity. And I say attempt because it's, you know, it's not possible in a lot of ways to actually, that's part of your identity. You can't get rid of it, but you're spending an attempt to kind of hide that or, or change that. And then we also have spending to belong, which is very similar, but it's different in terms of the motivation behind it. So in this case, you are spending to belong to a certain group of people or to fit in with with somebody or some type of person. And this is also largely fueled by consumer culture. And especially as women, like we're marketed all the time, this idea that we can kind of buy perfect, you know, we can get our hair done and buy this makeup thing and, you know, become thinner and more beautiful and whatever, if we just buy this product. Um, And that kind of plays into that spending to belong as well. And then we have spending to embrace your identity, which is when you are fully embracing who you are and the parts of your identity and you're spending in a way that is aligned with that and kind of just allowing you to present that kind of to the world. So I think a lot of people maybe haven't reflected on this because it's not something that's commonly talked about, but thinking about the way that you spend your money, is it like, what is it rooted in? Is it because you are embarrassed of a part of you? Is it because you're wanting to fit in with a certain group or is it because you are genuinely embracing who you are. And I talk about my own personal example in the book of when I came out as queer, like before kind of that happened, or even as it was initially happening, I was presenting myself to be very hyper-feminine, which is not really my style, if you know me. Um, It is sometimes, but I also like, I love just wearing clothes that look like they're from your grandparents' closet. (laughs) Uh, So I was, yeah, I was spending so much money on like getting my hair done and my eyelashes done and um, spending a lot of money on makeup, which is just, again, not me, but I was doing that because I was trying to run away from or hide like that, my queer identity. I was trying to really like appeal to the male gaze and really like uh, 
uh, relate more to my straight friends and things like that. And I realized after the fact that I was creating this kind of persona that wasn't me in an attempt to kind of shove this part of my identity down and ignore it. So I think that often money can be used as a tool for these things in order for us to, you know, sorry, <laughs> lost my train of thought. <laughs> it happens. Rewind. <laughs> um, yeah, I think a lot of times we are, we're using money to, oh my gosh, it's gone. It's just gone. <laughs> it's okay. We can, we can, there, there was enough of that. We can, we can edit. We'll, we'll take it from there. <laughs> that happens to me sometimes when I'm like in the middle of a sentence talking and I'm like, where am I going with this? <laughs> yes. I know. I need to get like a, a silent fidget toy because all my fidget toys make noise. So I can't use them. And I feel like it, my brain just stops working when I don't. <laughs> right, right. Or like something you could squish or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, something else you talked about in your book, which I, I thought was really interesting, kind of along this this line is you talk about your invisible versus your visible, your invisible versus your visible identity. And I think for all of us listening, we probably can relate to that. I mean, I know I have certainly spent money on things that um, I thought I was just, I was supposed to do this. You know, I was supposed to spend money on this or I you know, it's it's the right thing to do, or this is what other people maybe expect of me and all of these different things when maybe internally I was feeling like, no, that isn't really what I want to do. And so it's so interesting to me how money is really wrapped up in our identities. And, you know, I, I often talk about I feel like I really want people spending to be able to tell the story of them, to tell the story of who they are. And for so many of us, it it just isn't, right? Tell me a little bit more about like our invisible versus our visible identity and how do we get those things to, you know, play in like perfect harmony together? <clears throat> so Invisible versus visible identity. Your visible identity are the aspects of your identity that people can see and perceive just by looking at you. So the color of your skin, your approximate age, potentially your socioeconomic status, your height, you know, if you have a physical disability, things like that. Whereas your invisible identity are the parts of yourself that aren't visible just by looking at you. So that could be you know, neurodivergence, uh, mental health challenges that you have, invisible disabilities, uh, you know, just things about yourself. If you're a creative, if you're an artist, you know, things like that, that you might not be able to see just by looking at you. So these are two parts of our identity that are intertwined. And obviously, they make up who we are and our sense of self. And this is going to impact how you move through the world and the privilege that you have or the um, the barriers or systems of oppression that you face, which are, you know, going to impact your ability to build wealth or the opportunities that you have. So that affects like the way you move through the world. But then again, what we were just talking about, it also impacts how you choose to present yourself and whether or not you want to show those invisible parts of your identity more visibly. And, you know, like people talk about dressing you know, there's kind of like a queer uh, style, you know, if you, there's certain things like wearing a carabiner or, you know, having a septum piercing, like there's things that kind of signal to other people in the community, maybe that you're, you know, you're embracing this part of your invisible identity. Um, 
And sorry, could you repeat the question? <laughs> no, I think you're I think you're an, you're answering it. I was just, you know, wanted to know more about like how do we um you know, what is the invisible versus visible identity and, you know, how how do those relate to our money? Right. Okay, yeah. Um so yeah, it impacts the way that you move through the world and it also impacts the way that you choose to present yourself and how you choose to spend your money. And that goes beyond just the way that you look. It's also where you choose to shop and who you choose to support, um, where you're putting your money. And it has such a big impact on, I think, everything that you do. And it's something that we don't reflect on enough. And I think it's really important to do kind of an audit of, if, you know, if you track your spending, like looking at your past month of spending and seeing where is my money going and how am I using money to embrace my identity or how am I using it to try to escape my identity? Where am I spending to belong? Like you gave the example of buying things because you felt like it was what you should do or what people expected of you. So you know, I know for most people, if they look at their spending, there would probably be some of those purchases on the list, you know, things that they were maybe influenced to buy because of various reasons. And so it affects the way we spend our money. It affects the way we view money, how we use money as a tool, and also, you know, the barriers we face or the opportunities that we're given. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete.me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete.me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. <laughs> I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one time service, Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash E-T-M. Go to joindeleteme.com slash E-T-M and use code E-T-M for 20% off. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. 
That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. All right, Elise, we're going to play your relationship with money is game. So first question, if you were to describe your relationship to money as a cartoon character, who would it be? Ooh, this is a fun question. <laughs> okay, let me th- let me think for a moment. My relationship with money as a cartoon character. Okay, the one that's coming to my mind, but I don't remember the name of the character, but it's the movie Soul, where oh yeah, where they're like the the main character is figuring out like who they are and what they want to do with their life, uh, and I feel like that movie kind of represents my journey of feeling the pressure of what I should be doing, but exploring these different aspects of myself, and then you know coming to the realization of like. I'm just me (laughs) and I'm going to do things kind of my way. And that's kind of where I'm at in my relationship with money now. So next question, how many times a day would you say you think about money? I would say a lot, but (laughs) largely because of my job. I don't think about my own money very often because it's like on autopilot. I don't really think about it unless I'm like going to make a big purchase or like thinking about goals. But I think about money in general, probably 50 times a day. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. I'm probably in that bucket too. 
And next question, if you had unlimited amounts of money, what would be the first place you would spend your money? Ooh, okay. I, this is like probably not a, the fun answer, but definitely the first place would be donating the money to some of the organizations that I'm really passionate about. That would probably be like the first place. And then in terms of fun things for myself, it would definitely be traveling. Definitely book some trips. <laughs> okay, question number four. What is one money secret you have that maybe you haven't told a lot of people? Ooh, a money secret. At the beginning of incorporating my business and kind of getting that in order, my finances, my business finances were a complete mess. (laughs) And I am still working on like correcting that and getting it organized. And I think, yeah, a lot of people are like, well, you're a financial educator, like you would have everything all organized. But for some reason, like the business stuff was just so different because there was way less companies to choose from, way less accounts, like it was just so different. So, um, and it was something that I just didn't really have the capacity for at the time. So I don't think I've ever actually talked about that at all. But yeah, my business finances are still kind of a mess. That's my big secret. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ETM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. Talking about money is hard. You know this already. All over the world, people are taught to never talk about money, politics, sex, or religion in polite company. On 50 Fires, a podcast about money and meeting from executive producers Chip and Joanna Gaines, host and financial conversationalist Carl Richards, We'll remove money from that list by having frank, funny, and often difficult conversations about money, the kind we're all told not to have, with guests from all walks of life. In each episode, Carl will invite a new guest to answer the question, what does money mean to you? Their answers will reveal much more than their attitudes about money, spanning revelations about identity, community, faith, family, and the true meaning of wealth. Tune in to hear deep conversations about money and the meaning it holds in our lives. You can find 50 Fires on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Yeah, you were talking about, um, you know, invisible identities. It just made me think, you know, something that a lot of people don't know about me is I'm actually deaf in my left ear. And I have uh, chronic tinnitus, which is like take TV static and turn it up like full blast. And I hear that every day, all day. Wow. Even when I sleep and I think about how, you know, something like ADHD or, you know, me having hearing loss, how that does really impact your money and how you have to, um, I don't know, bring that into the equation. So for me, you know, one of the things that, that this does that most people don't know is it makes me very tired. Mm-hmm. So I can get up from like eight hours of sleep and I'm just exhausted still, you know, because my body hasn't had the time to really repair because my brain doesn't shut off the way a lot of other people's do. And so it doesn't seem like there's a correlation to money there, but there is because I just have a different energy level and I have a different, you know, I now I have to think about like my future healthcare and, you know, what happens if I lose hearing in my good ear and like all of these things that um, you know, it's been five years since I lost my hearing, all these things that I didn't have to think about previously. And so, you know, I'm wondering too, like when you come into, you know, diagnosis of like ADHD or, or anything, um, you know, kind of on that spectrum, how you think that might, or maybe how somebody who's in that position, you know, maybe needs to prepare or, you know, look at their money from a, a different perspective. Yeah. I think I I love that you brought that up and I can relate a lot to the the sleep <laughs> struggles. I struggle a lot. I have a lot of sleep issues as well and I wake up exhausted basically every day. So, I have a similar struggle where, you know, I can't work the same hours that a lot of other people can. I don't think I could hold a 9 to 5 job to be honest. I I don't not think I would survive. <laughs> um yeah, so that that impacts your ability to work and like to make an income. And you mentioned like health insurance is a big one for me. Like medication, I'm currently paying out of pocket for that, so it works out to be about five dollars a day. And a lot of people's medication is a lot more expensive than that. But that's still like it's you know 150, 160 dollars a month, and that's like a significant amount of money that could be going to something else. But I think that when you have these challenges, whether it's um, mental health challenges or an invisible, visible disability, this is a part of your life. And I think that it's really important to kind of reframe how you're viewing 
the way that you use your money. And if you have the financial means to, I think that using money in a way to make your life easier and to make your life more accessible and to allow you to operate in a way that is more, you know, optimal, allows you to complete daily living tasks. That is money that is well spent. An example for me is grocery shopping. Uh, Both my partner and I are neurodivergent and grocery shopping is like a very stressful task. I get very overstimulated at the grocery store. It's like a lot of effort to plan. It will literally... my whole day. If I go grocery shopping, that's it. That's all I'm doing that day. All my right. spoons are gone. Then you're done. Yes. I'm done. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then you have to think about, you know, the meals and cooking and it's like so much. So we get grocery delivery. We get our groceries delivered. So we pay for that. And we also pay for the Instacart subscription. Those are additional, you know, monthly expenses that we've taken on. But the thing that we're getting back is like I'm getting back so much more time and energy. And when you have limited energy to work with in a day, that's a like losing a whole Saturday is a big deal. So being able to, you know, get that back and have more time to either, you know, do fun things and hang out with my partner or hang out with my friends or to get things down done around the house that also take a lot of energy or, you know, it's it's worth the money. And so I think you know, reframing this like mindset of why would you do that when you like, why would you pay someone to do that when you could just do it yourself? Like doesn't apply to people that have any sort of disability. Like it's, it's worth the money. (laughs) So uh, I think, yeah, reframing that mindset and maybe changing how you choose to spend your money and, and understanding that money is a resource that you that you're giving up but then you're gaining back a different resource and i don't think that money is always the most valuable resource i think that energy and time in a lot of cases can be more valuable so it's like what are you willing to give up in money to get more back somewhere else in your life i'm glad you bring that up too because i think this is a really important point you know especially being in a new year and it's always the time where we're thinking about our money and thinking about our habits and you know we're just sort of reevaluating everything and there is this narrative out there that it's always about saving money so what are all the ways i can cut everything out and that that somehow makes me you know doing money the right way or you know what whatever you want to call it but looking at your life you know if you if you have a disability or you have you know something else like we're talking about here it's okay to spend money and it's okay to spend money what you're saying like in a way that 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 you know this is mindful spending right it it's mm-hmm. in a way that supports your lifestyle and supports your specific needs and so i you know i, I i'm sure you would agree like there's got to be also like a freedom for people to be able to use their money in in that way and if we go back to the shame and i think you know judgment could be attached to shame too not feeling like um, people need to judge them for for how they spend their money if it if it gets them back time and it gets them back space and energy and all of those sorts of things. Yeah, you know, you, you share so much in your in your book, um, so many personal gems as, as well in there. I'm wondering, you know, as you're as you're writing the book, as you were writing the book, um, what did you really hope that that the listener would would get from reading this book? That's a great question. I think for me, I am really just hoping that people walk away with a greater understanding of their money story and how it was formed, and then also a new outlook or approach or view on their money and how they want to approach it moving forward. I think that there's a lot of people 
that are going to be reading this book that are feeling hopeless with their finances or feeling frustrated. And I really wanted this book to be encouraging and to provide hope and to, you know, let people know that just because you're not doing things the way that other, you know, more traditional financial education says you should be doing, it doesn't mean that you're doing things wrong. And it also doesn't mean that you should be striving for that. And so, you know, if they walk away with like a a renewed sense of hope and an understanding that like they can do finances their way in a way that really supports their life, who they are, their values, their identity, and like is more sustainable for them, then that would be a huge win for me. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> And you, you know, if somebody listening does not follow you, you give so many great tips on social media. It's so fun to watch you too, because there's always colors <laughs> and there's there's just a lot going on that really stands out and is different. I what do you what do you hope, you know, changes in in the realm of financial education so that it can be a place of more, you know, more of an inclusive environment and you know, talk about money, I think, from this perspective that is that is very different than, you know, you have to follow this this set amount of rules. Yeah. Well, you just touched on one of them, the the colors and the fun things. I feel like something that I'm really proud of in my content is the ability to take these more complex or uh, confusing financial topics or terms and break them down in a very digestible and like fun and accessible way. And I think that moving forward, if more financial educators could, you know, adopt that approach and kind of lose some of the financial jargon, like there's so much of the financial terms that you, you know, need to know in order to do things like are they're so unnecessary to be that complicated. (laughs) And like, (laughs) we can just talk about them in simpler terms. And it's the same thing. And so I think if more people started doing that, it that automatically removes a barrier for a lot of people, because it's really intimidating to want to start to learn about something and you're already feeling maybe shameful and like nervous. And then immediately right out the gate, it's all these words you don't understand. Like that's, that's going to make you not want to continue. So that's a big one. I also think that we're already seeing some growth in this area, but having more diversity in terms of financial educators in general and like more people with different lived experience and backgrounds and different marginalized identities um, speaking about finance, which we're already seeing way more of, which is amazing. And I think elevating those voices and investing money into those creators so that they also have more opportunity because I think that, you know, that's historically been like marginalized identities have been left out of these conversations. So bringing them in and elevating those voices will allow for more inclusive um, conversations moving forward. And yeah, I included a ton of interviews in my book from a bunch of different voices because that was something that was important to me as well as like these people, you don't commonly hear them talk about money because they haven't been given a platform in the past. So I think anything Mm, we can do to elevate those voices. And um yeah, I think those are two of the big ones. I think also just on a general note, like taking a more identity-based approach to money and really looking at the individual person and not just giving cookie cutter advice that everyone, you know, should be doing, but really, you know, saying, okay, this is your individual situation. So like what's gonna work for you and like what do you want? And really centering the person again. And also taking a shame-free and trauma-aware approach. 
and uh, organization, oh, an organization that's doing a really great job of this is the Trauma of Money. I actually took their certification program last year, and they're working to, you know, they're working with therapists, they're working with educators, they're working in so many different industries to educate about the trauma of money and how you can, you know, use that with your clients. And I think that that's a really important aspect that will also make finances more inclusive because trauma is also a big part of our relationship with money and doing so will just help create more safe spaces. All right. So let's, let's go back to where we, where we started with our shame and our should. So we're in this new year. We're trying to do things differently. Uh, we're trying to get rid of those words from our vocabulary. Give us a, a couple of things, maybe a couple items on our checklist that, um, you know, we should be thinking about as we go forward from this conversation so that we can bring in more, you know, supportive, financially rewarding environment and just, um, you know, I, I think just be really proud of of where we are, no matter if we're um, 100% happy with where we're at financially or if, you know, we'd, we'd like to change a few things. Yeah. So number one, I think understanding your own money story, which if you're not familiar with that term, your money story is essentially your narrative and beliefs around money that will dictate like your financial decisions and patterns and behaviors. And so I really think understanding where that story comes from, you know, the things you were taught when you were growing up, the things that you've experienced throughout your life, um, the various beliefs that you have around money. I think that's a really important step because that can also help you understand where these more negative thought patterns or maybe unhelpful habits are stemming from. And that's what really is the key to changing those things is understanding like, what is the root of this? Why am I doing this thing? So I think that's a really important first step. I think secondly, is finding safe money spaces where you can learn about money and ask questions without judgment. So finding those spaces where you feel seen and heard and understood and you don't feel isolated, you don't feel scared to ask questions, that is really important for uh, just feeling heard and being able to understand that it's not your fault. I think hand in hand with that, third, I would say, is having more money conversations in every aspect of your life. They don't have to be always serious money conversations. It can be more casual, you know, things that come up in casual conversation, but talking more openly about money, getting more comfortable with that, sharing, you know, what you're going through and what you're struggling with, with people that are close to you, being more transparent about your job and salary negotiations and things like that, and helping just kind of shed the light on some of these, these topics that aren't talked about and that we talked about at the beginning, leading to a lot of shame that people feel. and. Yeah, I think those would be like the main things that I would start with. Uh, but once you have that understanding, then moving forward, you can begin to reframe your money beliefs. And I say rewrite your money story and decide how you'd like to move forward and what that's going to look like. And um, yeah, I think one more thing I would add is something I actually learned in the trauma of money. They asked this question, whose shame is this? And it really just means like, the shame that you're carrying, is it really your shame to carry? Or is there other things that have led to this? Like we talked about earlier, like the societal systems that are happening, you know, systems of oppression, maybe it's intergenerational trauma, like all of these things that contributed to your money story that aren't actually, it's not your shame to carry. And so that question for me was really helpful in just reframing my mindset and taking a lot of 
you know, the blame that I felt off because it's it's not your fault. Like you were just not given the tools to succeed. And if you embrace that fact and understand that, it really just goes such a long way in your money journey because you are no longer feeling like it's my fault. I did this. You're understanding like the set of situations of my life led to this moment, but I have, I can, you know, I have the power to change certain things and to move forward in a way that is more aligned with who I am. I really admire Elisa's story. I also spent years spending to escape and belong. and It cost me a lot. I got into debt and I just, I didn't feel good about myself, even being a money expert. So I hope this episode is a good reminder that no matter where you are currently with your spending, just be gentle with yourself. Let go of the shame and the shoulds and focus on creating spending today that really does embrace your identity. And just a reminder, I would love to invite you to my workshop, Spend With Intention. Again, that's going to be on February 7th. You can go to the link in the show notes or head to etmpod.link slash spendwithintention. And we are going to create a rocking good spending plan for you that aligns with your identity, that aligns with your values, that moves you closer to the life that you want to live. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone right now, invite them in to learn all about this idea of spending towards your identity. You can head to the show notes for all the links to our episode guests, as well as the sponsors who make this show possible. I'll see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode. 